night. And more fans meant more money. And one by one, professional baseball stadiums started installing lights. People said it would ruin the game. Even today, there are people who hate the lights. Chicago Cubs, they have <laughs> refused to allow any night games to be played in their home park. Detroit Tigers, Boston Red Sox, even the Yankees, the Giants have severely limited the number of night games which might be played on their field because these teams opposed playing baseball in this way. It was a former owner of the Boston Red Sox, Thomas Yawkey. He said it this way. He said, I think the idea of more and more night baseball is wrong. He said that the big reason is this. The game just isn't as good at night. I'm not saying that good baseball can't be played at night. I'm saying that by and large, the consistent quality of play isn't as high. It can't be. No matter how good the lights are, they throw things out of proportion. Harder to hit, and more difficult to field the ball. The lights make it worse. You say, what are you talking about, Dave? Well, here comes the transition. I think the truth might also be, be said about Christmas, my friends. All of the lights, all of the shopping, all of the gifts, all of the decorations, they distract us from the truth. We, we say, keep Christ in Christmas. But we keep doing the same things over and over again, don't we? Let me ask you this. For you to think about this. When is the last time, really, that you've just taken time to consider this great event, this amazing event in history. That the word became flesh. That God, the God who spoke and brought all things into existence, became flesh and dwelt among us. Though he was rich, he became poor. Awfully hard to do that with all of the shopping we still have left to do. And we got Aunt Sally, and we don't know what she wants. She may have said a large, but maybe it was some kind of branch. We don't know, and it's frustrating, and it's, and it's, and it's not the point. I'm not saying Christmas isn't fun, particularly if you got kids. You know, my, my grandson walked in here and saw these things, and his eyes went, boom! Because who doesn't have a craving for more? No matter how good the lights are, my friends, they throw things out of proportion. And so today we take a look at a passage that perhaps you've gone through every Christmas throughout every year that you've trusted in Christ. It's Luke chapter 2, and I want you to take your copy of the scriptures here today. And what we're going to do is we're going to discover something new. And the story that is so old, some things that we weren't aware of maybe perhaps. Luke chapter 2. 
And this is a, an astounding account, really. Because, because frankly, Luke gives us two verses on the incarnation here. Take a look with me, if you will. Luke begins, of course, with this uh, in verses 1 to 5. He, said, he talks about the place of Jesus' birth. Let's put it in some context. Notice verse 1, he says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to all the world, that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Cranius was governor of Syria, and all, there's that word all, and of course all means all, and that's all all means. They went to be registered, each to his own town. And why talk about this? Why not just say, hey, they were in Bethlehem, you know, for business? Because what we're looking at here is the providence of God. God working through man, through governments, through individuals to bring about his plan. And so we see the providence of God brought them to Bethlehem. Now the Romans required that every adult appear to make a proper assessment of his property. And you say, why did they have to travel for a tax? Because that's what you've heard. It was about a tax, right? And it was. But it's specifically related to property. And so people went back to their tribes, to their home. Also, by citing Caesar's decree, Luke helped his readers see that the human decrees, however powerful, fall under and within the divine decree which ordered the birth of Christ. And in doing this, my friends, a prophecy was fulfilled. Look at here in verse 4, he says, And Joseph, doesn't even tell us who Joseph is, but the reader knows who. No need to introduce this guy, right? Yeah, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from a town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David. There's that word, looks familiar to me. Which is also called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of, of David. You see what those verses highlight there? Related to David. These, this family is of the line of David. Why does that matter? Because the Messiah, if he is to be king, has to be from the line of David, from the tribe of Judah, the line of David. And you look at Luke and you see the genealogy and Matthew and they both, they're slightly different. One follows Mary's line and the other follows Joseph. Although in this case, Joseph is the one that matters. He's a descendant of David. He could be the king. Think about that. Imagine that. A baby is born. And they know your genealogy. Could this be the one? And in this instance, my friend, he is. And so this, this focus, and remember this is based on the covenant that God made with David. You hear me say these things over and over again so that you go, yeah, we know, Pastor. That's the idea. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord made a covenant with David. 
Remember, David wanted to build a house for God. He wanted to build a temple. He looked out at his beautiful house, and he said, why is God living in a tent? Let's hold on to that word, by the way. The, the, the word you're familiar with is tabernacle. It's the same thing. Tabernacle. Right there in the midst of his people. There's a pattern, by the way. David says, I want to build God a house. He surely is worthy of such a thing. It was an admirable thing to do, David's idea. The prophet came to him and said, God don't want a house. But because you wanted a house for him, I'm going to make a house for you. And he talked about a dynasty. And that ultimately his son would reign, hear me, forever and ever. You know that hallelujah chorus? And he shall reign forever and ever. I wonder where that came from. Yeah, it's from the book of Revelation. Because God fulfilled his covenant. And it all starts in Bethlehem. That's the prophecy. It's Micah 5 too. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Something different about this baby. He's going to be the ruler of Israel, and he comes from the ancient of days. It speaks of eternality. The one who is born is the one who had already existed. Yeah, he is God. And so we see the providence of God that brought them to Bethlehem in order to fulfill the prophecy about Bethlehem. And then here in verses 6 and 7, you want to read the Christmas story? Here it is. Notice the details of his birth. And while they were there, the time came for her, that's Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And we all know the story, right? You know, they're traveling and they went to the inn and the innkeeper said, No, we got no room for you. Go sleep in a barn. Likely, my friends, that's the image you have in your head of Christmas. Right here, right? Isn't that it? Isn't that Christmas? Yeah? There they are in the stable, and, and the cows are lowing. and You know, you've sang the songs. That's not what it means at all, though. So what I want you to do is you've raised this from your memory. I want you to stop thinking about this happening in a barn. I know you've heard many, many sermons perhaps talk, oh, in the degradation of being born amongst the pigs and the cows in the... That ain't it at all. And it's not your fault. This is what you've been told, probably since you were a little kid. But take a look at what the text says here, my friends. And when they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Where's the stable? 
Where's the barn? Where's the, where's the animals? Where's all of this taken? It's not in there, is it? You know what is in there? The word in. And you know what the word in means? There it is, I-N-N, no place for them in the inn. I mean, this is astounding. Here are two verses about the incarnation of the Son of God. My friends, this ought to be volumes talking. We don't know how much he weighed. We don't know what he, did he giggle? Was he crying a lot? We have no idea. You know what we know? He was born. And they laid him in a manger. See, there's the, there's the, the thing right there. Well, what's a manger? Well, it's the, where you put the food and the animals eat. So clearly he must be in a stable. That's a really big jump, my friends. Now clearly in traveling, you know, a long distance, they didn't bring their, uh, you know, uh, foldable crib with them for this newfound baby. You know, you know what they did? They found what they had. The word in... How many of you have the NIV with you here today? Anybody just you bring the NIV? What does it say? Can you read it real loud? Just verse 7. Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn, her son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available. There was no what? No guest room. Guest room. The NIV doesn't say in, it says guest room. And you know why it says that? Because that's what the word means. There was no room in the guest room. They were in a house, my friend. Where do you find a guest room in a house? Not only that. <laughs> I mean, the, the popular assumption is this barn, but it's wrong. The text is talking about the word in. Now, the, the Greek word here for in is kataluma. And the word means guest room. The NIV translates it that way, guest room. And the ESV, if you have one of those, has a little note by it. You know, check the margin. Look at the bottom of the page. I'm not sure how your version of the ESV looks, but, and it says guest room. Because that's what it means. The guest room was full. That doesn't mean that they had to go 100 yards down the road to sleep in a barn, my friends. The way houses were, magically appearing on the screen in perfect timing, thank you, Brandon, is what houses look like. Now, this is a cutaway, and this, of course, is, is a drawing to, to uh, emphasize what's happening here. But you will notice that the bottom floor was the living space, if you could read that tiny print, uh, there's a, the person on the left by the ladder, and to the right of them it says, kitchen. <laughs> it doesn't look like your kitchen, but it was their kitchen. You see, the first floor was the living space. The upper room, everybody think that through, was the guest room. That, and why did they have this? Because every year, during a particular time of the year, when people came from all over to come to Jerusalem, they needed a guest room. It became a priority. Particularly in this culture, hospitality was an enormous thing. It was built into their houses to have a guest room. Let's think about this. So here's Mary and Joseph. And Joseph 
is with Mary who is with child. And they go on this great journey because they have no choice. The government If you grew up someplace else, there might be people that you knew, maybe even made arrangements, or maybe the expectation was that you would come and that you would stay with family. This only makes sense, right? I mean, this, they weren't going to some strange land, you know, we're going to Lansing, Michigan for the taxing, you know, we've never been there before, but it should be fun. They were going home. The intent was to stay with a family that they knew. It was built into their houses, this guest room. Now you say, well, what about the inn? I mean, what's the deal with that? Why do they say that? Well, I think I, I have a theory for you, my friends. Hmm. You see, the same word is used, guest room, by Jesus. In Luke chapter 22, it is a familiar passage to you. Here we are at the end of Luke, okay? And we know what's going on at the end of the gospel here, right? Jesus is going to be crucified. But in Luke 22, verse 7, there came a day, then came the day of unleavened bread in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? where I may eat the Passover. Yeah, it's the very same word, by the way. Translated guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And notice in verse 12, Jesus says, and he will show you a large upper room, furnished. Prepare it there. Bing! Hey, wait a minute. There's no stable in this. What you see on the screen here, my friends, is a living area that the most valued of the animals would come in at night. Everybody say, ick. <laughs> they breathe the same air, whatever was in the air. See, that was as stable as it got, my friends, in the living area of someone's home. And they said, we got this baby. How are we going to make a bed for this? I have an idea. Well, there's a manger. That makes sense? That's what, it, that's what we're reading here, my friends. There was no room in the guest room, so they had to stay on the first living area. Confusion is in the fact of that there is another word that is translated in and means just that. And it's used in Luke chapter 10. Take with me, take a look with me in Luke chapter 10. See, we're in the same, uh, same book here, Luke chapter 10. We just looked at 22, now we're in 10. You remember the parable that Jesus taught about the Good Samaritan? 
You know, there was a man that was robbed and beaten and a priest walked by and a Levite walked by and they walked on the other side of the road. And then along came a Samaritan. People hated the Samaritans. They were treasonous, horrible, lousy, rotten, no good people. And Jesus telling this story says, and there was a Samaritan. And as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn. Completely different word. This word is pandekeon. Absolutely different word. Absolutely a different word. And you know what this word means? <laughs> it, it, was, it was like a, uh, like a dorm, but no rooms. <laughs> you had areas that people, travelers, would stay in. It's a different word. It's a different concept. See, the Christmas story you had in mind isn't at all what God had, has recorded for us, but we're just lost in translations. And you might say, well, here's an inn that a guy brought to, and not only that, he had an innkeeper, <laughs> but he seemed okay. You know, he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, <laughs> saying, take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay when I come back. You see, what this is, is, well, here's the story of an inn where travelers might stay. And that word says inn, so we take that story and we put it in with this story, and it changes everything. But because we are careful students of the word of God, now we know better. I was born in a house, my friend. It wasn't like your house, and it wasn't like mine. It didn't have carpet, shag or otherwise. But he wasn't born in a barn. Hmm. Yeah. And so there is the birth of Christ. Two verses. I mean, you could go home and memorize this stuff. Verses 6 and 7, chapter 2. And you know what is astounding about that? It's just how simple... Luke lays this out. I mean, the Gospel of Luke is 24 chapters, well over a thousand verses. And as matter-of-factly as you can imagine, and while we were there, gave time for her to give birth, and she gave birth to a firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. For the men here, they don't know what swaddling clothes is. is basically, they wrapped him up in, in cloth, keep him warm and tight. They still do that today, just, you know, but that's what that's all about. And yes, I did have to look it up. <laughs> Though I have four children and I witnessed all of it. Um, <laughs> well, my friends, you know where he gives the room here? You know where he spends, where he spills some ink? Is in verses 8 to 20. 8 to 20 gives us some very important perspective on what's going on here in verses 6 and 7. Notice with me, if you will, 
What we have in verses 18 and 20 is the announcement of his birth. I mean, look at the audience. And in the same region, there were shepherds, also a class of people that were looked down upon. I mean, they hung out with stinky, smelly animals. And they're out in the field, it's what they do. And they're keeping watch over their flock by night. And here in verse 9, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. So, of course, the first word out of the angel's mouth is, <laughs> Fear not. There it is, verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... There's that word behold. You're not going to believe this, but let me tell you anyway. And then everyone goes, and here it is. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And there it is again, that word all. And so we see the nature of the message is good news. The content of the message is this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. <coughs> Notice the emphasis once again. Does it say Bethlehem? No, this is the city of David. This is narrow in in our thinking. A savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, it brought them right to the king narrative. A king is born right there in the city of David, and he is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, the one whom prophets have spoken about hundreds of years before, whom the religious spoke and argued about, but there he is. And then the angel lays out the veracity of the message. It's true, this will be a sign to you, he says. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Uh-huh, that's pretty typical. And lying in a manger. And then comes the celebration. And my friends, this ought to be our response. Here, the angel says, you go, you go into the city of David and you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And this is God. <laughs> this is Christ, the Lord, the ancient one, the one from old. Yes, exactly. That's the kind of look that you should have. That was perfectly timed, by the way. And look, behold, suddenly, there was the angels, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's the celebration that took place on Christmas, the birth of the Savior, that the angels could not contain themselves, bursting out in praise, my friends. That's what's missing in our celebrations, because we don't take time to think about such things. 
celebration. Glory to God in the highest. But notice also what is said here. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. What is peace? Not the one with the I in it. We're not talking about a piece of cake. Peace. What is it? Is it merely the absence of warfare? I mean, think about the world in which Christ was born under Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And you know what the peace of Rome was? You cause any trouble and we're going to march in there and kill every last one of you. Peace through strength. It is one of the philosophies of our government. Why we keep building weapons over and over again. We ain't shooting anybody, but I'll tell you what, they get out of line and they're going to know. Peace. Well, my friends, peace. Peace is not natural. It doesn't just naturally come. And not only that, it's not manufactured. Peace is not a nap. That's not what a nap is. A nap, if you call that peace, my friends, I would call that escape. If I fall asleep, then I won't have to think about it. It's just a pause, like a comma in a sentence. Peace comes through Christ. Peace is being right with God. And do you know how we get peace with God? It is through Christ and Christ alone. You see, right now, sinners, you came into this world at enmity with God. Everything that you thought, believed, craved was only about you, you, you. Sin is the very nature of sin. Sin says, God can wait. I want to be happy. God can wait. I want to get more stuff. And there is animosity and sinners they hang over the precipice of hell lest the spirit of God convict them of their sin and of righteousness leading them to repentance and faith there is no peace but Christ came to bring peace and it can't be possible without somebody dying. And we know that's why he took on flesh. First and foremost, to dwell among us. And then finally, to die for us. Take a look at the response of these shepherds. Friends, they ought to lead us in this. Look at verse 17. And when they saw it, that's the shepherds, First thing, they made it known, the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They could not keep such great news to themselves. They could not. They made it known. Look here in verse 18. The shepherds made it known. And all who heard it wondered at the as the, what the shepherds told them. They wondered. It wasn't mine. It was. Could it be that the Messiah of God has come? 
and he's come for us? Yeah. They wondered about what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her hearts. Hmm. Let them lead the way, my friends. Telling, wondering, pondering. And verse 20, as the shepherds returned, glorifying God, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They made it known. They couldn't keep it to themselves. Those who heard it wondered about it. Mary is pondering about it. And by the way, you know why we know all of these things? First and foremost, the Spirit of God <laughs> using Luke to pen these things. But Luke had access to Mary. Tell me, what was that night like? Well, some other relatives had gotten there before us, so the guest room was full. But there was a manger there, and we made this little bed out of the manger. And there we laid him, the Son of God. The proper response to the incarnation of the Son of God is to worship him and maybe to tell some other people about him. You want to you wanna keep Christ in Christmas, my friends? Maybe pass the word. You want to keep Christ in Christmas, my friends? Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, Maybe work on forgiving a few people on your list. And love your enemies. You gotta love people. Because that's what Jesus did, isn't it? Yeah. You want people to see Jesus? Start living like he lived. By loving others. Now, oh, Father in heaven, God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and the clarity it brings. We are thankful, God, for these translations that we have in our lap. But God, help us to be good students, to be careful in our study, that we not let the stories that were told us replace what your word says. And God, help us to celebrate, knowing precisely what it meant that the Son of God added flesh to himself, became man that he might dwell and that one day we would dwell with you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.